Thank you for being here this morning. We have several here visiting with us today. We're glad that you are here. This morning we're going to talk about conversion being a total life change. I, I think sometimes we have a serious misunderstanding about what it means to be converted in the sense, in the spiritual sense of becoming a Christian. The word conversion is used in a lot of different ways in the culture that we're living in. But we're talking about spiritual conversion, and in particular, we're talking about being converted to Jesus Christ. One of the misunderstandings associated with conversion is that for some people, it just doesn't require that much. I mean, we see people sometimes who are, are, are living their life, they're married, they have a good job, they've got a family, everything looks great, they just... Uh, just look like the all-American all, all family. We say, you know, it, it's a shame that they are not Christians. They, they just, they wouldn't have hardly anything to change. No, I, I will tell you the truth. Everyone who becomes a Christian has to experience a total life change. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. It if we're coming to the cross for salvation in Christ, which is what becoming a Christian is all about, then everybody comes the same way. We all come as sinners, and we all come in need of the salvation of God. As it pertains to the conversion process, you remember Peter in Acts chapter 2, we quote very often, as Peter was telling the, the story of the gospel that God sent his only son to die for our sins, he said this Jesus came into the world and he demonstrated his deity. He proved who he was by the signs, wonders, and miracles that he did in your presence. And, but in spite of that, Peter said to the Jews on that day, in spite of that, you killed him, but God raised him from the dead and he's seated at the right hand of God and he has exalted him as both Lord and Christ and you remember that on that day there were many many people listening to the gospel the good news about Jesus and their hearts were touched did you hear that their hearts were touched and they said what what shall we do and Peter said you need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ, for the remission of your sins, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because that's the promise of God, the promise of God for you, for your children, for those that are far off, for as many as the Lord our God shall call. In Acts chapter 3, after the, uh, the healing of the blind man there on Solomon's porch, Peter begins to preach again, and he says, this time, you need to repent and be converted. The New King James Version says, return. Turn again. The word conversion means to turn, to change. And so Peter said, you need to repent and be converted. You need to be turned. You need to be changed. I'm saying to you this morning that conversion is a total life change. Conversion involves both God and me. I, I tell you, there's a lot of confusion among people 
who are sitting around waiting for God to save them. It is true that God has a part in this overall salvation equation. God provided the way. Do you remember in Jeremiah 10 and verse 23, the prophet said to the people of God long ago, he said, I know, as he's praying to God, he said, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. And what Jeremiah was saying was this. It's the very opposite uh, of the person who trusts in his humanity to save himself. Jeremiah is saying, I, I know that that's not possible. It's not within me. I, I do not have that level of wisdom. I do not have that superiority of knowledge. It's not within man that walks to direct his own steps. I, I, I need some help that surpasses or supersedes what I can find within myself. Jesus, in John 14 and verse 6, declares himself to be the answer to that prayer. Lord, I know that it's not in man that walks to direct his own steps. The way of man is not in himself. Jesus comes along and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man will come unto the Father but by me. I'm saying to you this morning, as we are thinking about what it means to be converted, to be saved, God provides the way, not, not us. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. And so James is going to say of that gospel that we ought to receive it with meekness, with humility. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Because it is able, it's powerful, it's able to save the soul. God's part in the salvation process was providing the means of salvation. It's not only true that we couldn't figure out how to be saved, it is also true that we could not save ourselves. And so over and over again we are reminded both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that we have no sacrifice that is sufficient to pay the debt for our sins. And so Jesus paid that for us. Our part in that is not to pay the debt. That was God's part. He provided the means of salvation. He provided the way of salvation. He provided the guidance for salvation. That was God's part. Our part is the turning part, the changing part. We have to embrace and receive what God has provided. It is not imposed on us. The Apostle Paul, when he talked to the Christians at Thessalonica, he noted that they had turned away from idols and they had turned unto the living God. There, there are two things involved here. Number one, God had provided the sacrificial death of Christ and the message of the gospel. That was God's part. But these individuals were doing their part in receiving that word and in making the change of life 
that follows. I want to say something to you. If you're sitting around in your life waiting for God to zap you with some spiritual lightning from heaven and change your life for you and make you the person that God wants you to be while you are passively sitting there doing nothing, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God has a role in this and God has provided His part of this process and now we have a responsibility in this in the receiving and the implementation of that word that has come from God. The Bible teaches us that conversion, this change that we're looking for, begins first of all in the heart. Before anything else, faith must be established in the heart. Ladies and gentlemen, if we don't get this heart thing right, you can just flush the rest of it. It, it, it doesn't matter. Because this is where discipleship begins. This is where the conversion process begins. Somebody says, well, what, 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 when you talk about faith, what are we talking about? We're talking about a trusting belief. It is a belief that motivates us to action. And I'm saying to you that in the conversion process, we're talking about conversion being a total life change. God provided faith as the foundation of this total life change. And listen to me, faith was designed by God to change the heart. The biblical heart is interesting. We're not talking about the physical organ that pumps your blood through your body. But we are talking about that which is precious and in many respects the citadel of the spiritual man. The, the New Testament depicts the heart in several ways, but we understand that scripturally speaking, the heart is that part of our spiritual makeup that thinks. You remember in Matthew the ninth chapter, as Jesus is, is reacting uh, here to the crowds, there was a man who was sick of the palsy and uh, was lying on his bed. And Jesus, uh, seeing their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he said this. I'm, I'm looking at verse 4 of Matthew 9. And Jesus said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Why are you thinking evil in your heart? The heart is the part of men where, where we think. In Mark 2 and verse 6, Jesus, Jesus said, uh, in this uh, parallel account of the healing of the man with palsy, he said, there were certain of the scribes who were sitting there and they were reasoning in their hearts. The heart is that part of man that, that is thinking, the heart of that part of man that is reasoning. It is the part of man that believes. With the heart, Paul said, man believes under righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. So when you think of the biblical heart, we're thinking of that part of your, 
spiritual being that thinks and reasons and believes or disbelieves. And, and the Apostle Paul said this faith, this belief, it comes by the hearing of the word of the Lord. I'm saying to you this morning, conversion is a total life change that begins with changing the heart. And faith was specifically designed by God to change the heart. But Peter said to those, Christian, uh, to those Jews on that day, he said, you need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ for the remission of your sins. He said in Acts 3, you need to repent and be converted. You need to turn again to the Lord. You need to be changed. Repentance is a change of life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 10, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that repentance is not just feeling bad about your sin. It's not just being sorry for your sin. It's not just being sorry or feeling bad. It is a focused or a directed uh, expression of emotion that is going to be seen in the behavioral change. It is an emotional response, a, an intellectual response that is going to be seen in the volitional response of behavior. And so Paul said, I know, when I, when I wrote to you the first time, that first letter I wrote you, have you read 1 Corinthians? It's pretty severe. Paul said, I, I know when I wrote to you the first time, I made you sorry. I, I know, Paul said, that first letter, it, it, wasn't, a, uh, <laughs> it wasn't a Philippian letter, Okay. It wasn't just full of joy and excitement and thanksgiving. It was severe. I know I made you feel bad. And Paul said, I want to tell you something. Clearly, unequivocally, don't misunderstand this. I don't feel bad about making you feel bad. I am not sorry that I made you sorry with that epistle. Why? He said, because godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. It's not just a matter that the sorrow of the world worketh death. There's more than one kind of sorrow. You can feel bad. When you've done something that was consequential and, and uh, the pain and the suffering comes falling down in your life and the lives of the, you can feel bad about that. That's not necessarily repentance. Repentance is having a Godward sorrow. It is a sorrow that is focused and directed toward God, understanding that this offense first and foremost was against God. Godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. A repentance that bringeth no regret, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. You remember in Luke, the 15th chapter, when Jesus was telling the story about the prodigal son who took his father's inheritance, went to the far country, and there he did everything in his riotous living that his daddy wouldn't let him do when he was living at home. And when he ran out of his daddy's money, and he was down and out and starving to death, he was trying to feed pigs to stay alive, and he would have been glad to eat the the pig food that they wouldn't eat, and nobody was helping him. 
And the text said, he came to himself and he said, I will arise and go to my father. I want to be clear about something. The repentance came in this young man's life. But the repentance wasn't just that he felt bad because he didn't have any money or he felt bad because he was starving or he felt bad because he was working in the pig pen and, and Jews didn't have anything to do with pigs and, and that, just, that just didn't work for him. It just didn't seem right. That's not the point. His repentance came when he turned, when he came to himself. And he said, how many servants in my father's house have a better life than I have? I'm going to get up and go. I'm going to go back to my father and say, hey, I was wrong. And I don't even deserve to be your son. I'm not even asking to be your son. Just make me one of your servants. I'll have a much better life. The repentance came when he arose and went back to his father's house. Repentance is the change of life. God said, well, faith, faith is, is what changes our life. Listen to me, faith is what changes our hearts. But James is going to remind us, look, the demons believe and they tremble, but they don't change. When we're talking about God's plan for saving us. What is it that we need? Repentance was designed in this total life change. Repentance is essential because repentance is what changes our life, changes our behavior. It changes our actions. There is a change of allegiance that comes in this process. Up to this point, we have been loyal to self. We have been in charge of our own lives, the master of our own destiny, we thought. The, the captain of our own ship, the driver of our own bus. Not really so much, but we thought we were. And we were making our choices based on what we wanted to do. No more. When we came to Jesus, we confessed him with the mouth, Jesus as Lord. And we believed in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. What does it mean to confess Jesus as Lord? To confess him as Lord, if he's Lord, then we bow our knees to him. We submit to him. We obey him. He's in charge now. That's what it means. It's a change of allegiance. We, we understand what the pledge of allegiance is to a flag, to a country, to a uh, to a, a, a political or, or, uh, or governmental structure. We understand that kind of allegiance. In, in the kingdom of God, God is looking for the pledge of allegiance. It comes with our confession that from this point forward, with my mouth, before many witnesses, I am declaring Jesus is Lord. You know what's going to be great? Uh, you remember... This is digression, I can't help it. In Philippians chapter 2, you remember the Apostle Paul says that on that day, on that day when Jesus comes, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess Jesus as Lord to the glory 
of God. I can hardly wait for that. Well, well that's going to be. But in the salvation process, the Christian, the, the one, the Christian is one who has made that confession, that pledge already. The, the one who is coming to Christ is being asked to change his allegiance, his loyalty. And, and so the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, reminds Timothy that his good confession had been made in the presence of many witnesses. Let me tell you something. When you have a total life change, your loyalty changes. That's why in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus warned about father, mother, brother, sister, son, and daughter. That's why he said, any man that loves father, mother, son, or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus was alluding to this principle of allegiance. When you come into the kingdom of God, you are bowing the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. He now is number one. You serve Him in this total life change. Everything about your life now changes direction, and everything about your life is brought under the direction of this Lord. And, and then there is the baptism. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 3 and verse 27, that as many of us as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It was in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost that Peter told the Jews when they said, what must we do? Peter said, you need to repent. That is, they were convicted, they believed, but undoubtedly they weren't saved yet because Peter's about to tell them what they need to do to be saved. No, it says, no, no, they were saved already. No, because Peter said they needed to repent and be baptized to wash away their sins for the remission of their sins. In Acts 22 and verse 16, Ananias said to Paul, uh, Saul of Tarsus, why do you tarry? Arise now, be baptized, and wash away your sins. That's what baptism is all about. Baptism is that washing in water symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection with Jesus Christ as we, the old man dies and the new man is resurrected to walk anew as the child of God with Jesus Christ. Baptism is what changes our status. And so when we're thinking about this total life change, I'm saying to you that God has designed this in such a way. Number one, God had a part in this. He provided the means of our salvation he provided the word of our salvation. We have a part in this. And God designed that faith would change our hearts and that repentance would change our conduct and our lives and that confession would be the expression of our change of allegiance, our loyalty now is to Him, and that baptism would change our status our relationship, because we go into the waters of baptism a sinner, and we come out of the waters of baptism a forgiven child of God, ready to walk in a new life. And I'll tell you what happens along the way, is that we just get this all mixed up and all confused. And somehow, 
many people begin to think, well, I, I'll tell you what happened. I, I, I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I, became a, I was converted. No, faith is what changes your heart. Faith was designed to change your heart. Faith does not change one's status. It was designed to change your heart. You're on the way at this point, but faith is not the part of this process that was designed for the change of state. It was designed for the change of heart. And so over and over again in the New Testament, the gospel was preached so that hearts could be touched and changed toward God. Faith does not change one's status or relationship with God. So don't think that your relationship with God changed just because you believe something. The demons believe and tremble, James said in James 2. That's not the purpose of faith. Faith was designed to change our hearts. But let me tell you something about baptism. Faith doesn't change our status, but baptism doesn't change our hearts. And I'm telling you, folks, if, if a lot of people in the religious world get confused about this one, a lot of people among first century Christians get confused about this one. A lot of those who profess New Testament Christianity get confused about baptism. It is true that faith doesn't change our status. We understand that and we emphasize the importance of faith and repentance and confession. And we, we emphasize that. But we need to emphasize also that baptism doesn't change our hearts. And I mean by that, that if we're not careful, we neglect the teaching of truth that convicts the heart and we go rushing to the baptism trying to get someone into the water before their heart has been changed. And I'll tell you what happens. You end up with a wet, unconverted person. Because baptism is efficacious only for those with a convicted heart who are penitent believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that is the case, then baptism serves exactly the purpose for which it was designed. And I'll tell you what the end result of all of that is. The end result of the conversion process is this. It is a total life change. Our hearts have been changed. Our behavior, our, 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 our comportment has been changed. Our allegiance in life has been changed now. And our status and relationship with God has been changed. When we receive the word that God gave to us, this is exactly what the Bible teaches us about a total life change. And I'm saying to you this morning, without a total life change, there is no biblical conversion. What a wonderful thing that God loved us so much. That he, he, he not only placed us here with all of the blessings we have in this world, but seeing that we messed it up, he loved us so much that he provided this way. 
that we could start completely anew with a total life change. If you're here this morning and not a Christian, what a wonderful opportunity to change your life today. If you've never confessed the good confession that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, you can do that this morning and with a penitent heart be baptized into Jesus Christ. You're a child of God who needs to come home. We beg you come while we stand and sing.